we order Chinese food for dinner. So here we have Mapo Tofu, Kung Pao Chicken, and General Toast Chicken. Quick question. Which of these three dishes includes people's name? The answer is all of them, but none of these are their legal names. Here Mapo is sort of an agname of a woman. Kung Pao is an honorary title, and General Tao refers to a general whose surname is Tao. So starting with Mapo Tofu, there are conflicting versions of the origins of Mapo Tofu. But what no one disputes is that the dish is linked to Mapo, a dedicated female chef. Ma in Chinese means pulp marks. Po in the ancient Chinese language represents a respectful way to call an adult female. Hence, the literal translation of Mapo is a woman with pulp marks. Mapo's surname is Chen. Since she had pulp marks in her face, people called her Chamapo. By the way, in Hungarian and many Asian languages like Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, surname is typically stated first before the given name. One version of the story is that the dish was invented around 1860s in the Sichuan province of China. Mrs. Chen operated a small eatery called Chen Xingshan. She was good at making tofu dishes with vegetable oil, bean paste, scallion, chili, and Sichuan peppercorn, which provides a numbing sensation. Interestingly, the numbing sensation is also translated as ma in Chinese. If the customer brought in beef or pork, she could also add these meats to the tofu dishes. Although that time people became bonkers about this tofu dish, most did not know the eatery's name, but everyone knew Chen Mapo. Hence, this iconic tofu dish was called Chen Mapo Tofu, and later Mapo Tofu. Another version of the story is more dramatic. It was said Mapo's name is Wan Chao Chao. As said, since Chinese put surname first, her maiden name is Wen. In the late 19th century, Wen married Chen, who ran a cooking oil shop. Ten years later, her husband died in an accident. Since she used to be a housewife with no job, Mrs. Chen struggled to live. Luckily, her neighbors tried to help her by giving her tofu and lamb from their own shops. So she came up with an idea to cook the lamb and silk and tofu together and adding local spices like chili and citron peppercorn. It became a big hit in the neighborhood. Mrs. Chen decided to open a small eatery to make a living. Similar to the first version of the legend, its popularity spread. 
These are the two versions of the origins of Mapo Tofu. I haven't verified them, but both versions are inspiring, especially during this challenging time. I would be happy to accept either version of the story. It's probably similar to the long-standing debate about what inspired Isaac Newton to develop his law of universal gravitation. It might disappoint lots of kids, though, if the truth is proved to be that the gravitation theory derived from the path of a bright comet or the idea of Robert Hooke, a rival natural philosopher. Anyway, Mapo Tofu can be found on the menu of Chinese restaurants in many countries around the globe. Personally, I like the Japanese style of Mapo Tofu too, as it's mild but with a bit sweet flavor. In the 1960s, a chef from Sichuan, whose surname is also Chan, introduced this signature dish of Sichuan to Japan. Chef Chan refined the recipe to make it more suitable for the palate of Japanese. He included the Japanese miso as a seasoning and made the dish less spicy. Many Chinese restaurants in Japan also removed Sichuan peppercorn from the recipe, as it's hard to import these peppercorns and the numbing sensation, or in Chinese, the ma sensation, is not widely accepted in Japan. I believe now, if you ask a Japanese to list top three Chinese dishes that come into their mind, mapo tofu should be among them. I think in the North America, Kung Pao chicken probably can be one of the top three commonly served Chinese dishes. Similar to mapo tofu, there are several versions regarding the origin of this dish. As said, Kung Pao here represents an honorary title of tutors to the emperor or the crown prince. Most people link Kung Pao chicken to a Kung Pao in the mid-19th century, whose name is Ding Bao Zhen, also called Ding Kung Pao. Ding had been the governor of Shandong province in the northeastern China, and then the governor general of Sichuan province from the 1860s through 1886, when he died at the age of 66. While Din was in Shandong province, he loved a local dish called Jiangbao chicken, which is explosively stir-fried chicken diced with fermented bean pastes. After he moved to Sichuan province, his personal chef tailored it to local tastes by adding handfuls of dried chilies, Sichuan peppercorns, peanuts, and a pleasing quart of sugar and vinegar. Ding liked it so much. He served it to all of his guests. It then became widely popular. However, this refined spicy jiangbao chicken had no name. Since Ding was given the Kumpao honorary title as the tutor of Crown Prince, the dish was named after him as Kumpao chicken. 
It's interesting that Sichuan peppercorns play a key role in both mapo tofu and kompa chicken. Why do people from Sichuan love peppercorn that much? I believe the first record of chili in China was back to late 16th century. Although chili has a presence in China for only 500 years, Chinese have a long history of eating spicy foods. A book in 200 AD stated that Chinese from ancient times had been seasoning foods with peppercorn, ginger, and elanthus-like prickly ash. Pretty funky. The peppercorn and ginger survived in the river of history and blended pretty well with chili. While elanthus-like prickly ash almost disappeared, I wondered how it tasted like. Probably not as tingly as chili. I heard in Sichuan, some might still add elanthus-like prickly ash into certain dishes, but it cannot steal the thunder of peppercorn or chili. Some other versions of the stories are based on people in Sichuan making the dish to show their gratitude of the great job Dean did during his governance. Dean strengthened coastal defenses, fostered modern industry, built schools, established the modern press, and made laws on salt trading. Wait, salt? Yes, I'm talking about salt. It's an inexpensive purchase nowadays. However, in the ancient world, salt was a precious commodity. The word salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which has the root in salt. It's said that in ancient Rome, salarium especially meant the amount of money allotted to a Roman soldier to buy salt. That rings the bell of a folktale I read when I was a kid. A king asked his three daughters how much they loved him. The youngest daughter said she loved him as one loved a pinch of salt. That irritated the king who expelled her from the palace. Honestly, this is a fair statement to me since during that time it's not only a necessity but also a precious commodity. Not sure if that's why William Shakespeare derived the King Lear from this folktale but did not include lines about a pinch of salt. Just my personal guess. I'm thinking if I was asked a similar question, I probably would say I love you as one loves Wi-Fi. Hopefully, that's a good answer. Okay, here's another interesting version of the legend of Kompao Chicken. It's said that General Tao was the inventor of Kompao Chicken because General Tao is a chicken lover and also had the honorary title of Kompao. I believe Ding Kompao in the first version of the legend is commonly known as the inventor of Kompao Chicken. Some may say, even if General Tao is not the inventor of Kompao Chicken, he should have invented General Tao's chicken. Unfortunately, 
General Cao did not have the luck to eat this chicken dish, which was named after him. This iconic dish was not invented until about 70 years after his death. General Cao's chicken was born during a visit to Taiwan from the U.S. Navy's Admiral Arthur W. Redford in 1952. Chef Pen was responsible for the meals of Mr. Redford's three days visit. He received an order that no dishes should be duplicated during these three days. So he came up with an idea to debone the chicken thigh, marinate it with soy sauce and egg, then deep fry the succulent chicken thigh and faster fry it with chili, garlic and ginger. It became a big hit on the banquet. When asked about the name of this dish, on the spur of the moment, he assigned it the name of a Hunanese general, Zuo Zongtang, who was from the Hunan province of China, which is also Mr. Pen's hometown. Zuo was the number one Chinese military leader in the 19th century and also known for his contributions to Chinese agricultural science and education. Due to the different English spelling of Zuo Zongtang's name, his name was also romanized as Zuo Zongtang. So now we have this name, General Zhou's Chicken. The original flavor of General Zhou's Chicken was typically a combination of five flavors garlicky, gingery, sour, spicy, and salty, and made with no sugar, no scallion, and no broccoli. In the early 1970s, inspired by Chef Pen's General Toast Chicken, another chef, Chef Juan in New York, adapted the recipe to suit American taste. He crisped up the batter and sweetened the sauce. The dish was named as General Chin's Chicken. Also, in the 1970s, Chef Pen opened a restaurant in New York City too. Henry Kissinger visited his restaurant and loved the General Toast Chicken. It's said that Mr. Kissinger brought this dish to public notice. Chef Pen was also invited to cook this dish in a segment for ABC News in the 1970s. I don't know when and how the name and the recipe of General Tso's chicken and General Ching's chicken merged with each other and evolved into the one I'm having right now. What I do know is it's a very tasty indulgence. Which one do I like better? The authentic ones or the fusion? Mm, I would say both. I don't mind eating fusion food seven days a week. Chefs of each country added their own spins to the dishes to suit local tastes. We are living in a diversified world, and it's actually very interesting to see that every country has their own version of these dishes. In the meantime, I find the authentic or original version jaw-dropping, not only because of the taste per se, but also the ingenuity of the inventors.
Imagine that in the freezing winter in the 19th century, you are crossing a bridge and feeling tired and hungry. The temperature is not very low, but it has been raining for five days in a row. The cold and damp weather makes you craving for something just warm and spicy. By the other side of the bridge, you vaguely discern some lights and a signboard. Getting closer. Yes, it's an eatery, small but bright and warm, and most importantly filled with the fragrance of freshly cooked foods. A middle-aged woman, with palp marks on her face, warmly welcomes you, and seats you at a wooden table. Shortly, she serves you with a plate of white tofu. Showered in red chili and peppercorn, dotted with minced pork, and topped with green scallions. The moment she places the plate on your table, you can see the silken tofu stretching in the plate. They look so silky and fragile, but it's amazing that each cube is square and intact. Without querying how the chef managed to stir fry silken tofu without breaking it, you can hardly wait to scoop up a full spoon of tofu with the chili sauce. The combination of red, white, and green colors magically induces numbing, spicy, hot, fresh, tender, aromatic, and flaky sensations. It stimulates your taste buds, and then you can feel the warmth flow down your gullet to your stomach, and then to your whole body. The delights derived from its color, aroma, and taste spreads from your eyes to your nose, then to your mouth, gullet, and your veins. After the second and third scoops. You can even feel that the increased blood circulation flushes out the cold and wet feeling. Your skin is breathing and sweating.